This is Dean Mathis, the Director of Capital Ministries, Michigan. This month, the month of November, is a time of celebrating Thanksgiving. So I wanted to talk about a cause for joy. There's got to be something in our lives if God is who the Bible teaches us that he is. And of course, I believe that that the Bible is true. Then when the Bible says there's something that I can rejoice about more than anything else in my life, that regardless of what may be going on, there is something I can always be grateful for, which supersedes and transcends every issue that I may face in my life, whether it be a good issue or a bad issue. And the interesting thing about this is that this particular teaching, this particular piece of information that we desperately need to know, comes at a time not when people are down, but when people are really up, when a group of people have really seen something wonderful happen, and they're rejoicing in the fact that God has used them in a very wonderful way, and they're really excited about it. They are anticipating something in their immediate future as a nation and as a people that is going to bring in a wonderful, complete new age for them. And so Jesus comes back to give them a corrective about it. He is grateful for what has happened, and he sees the work of God in what has happened. But he also reminds them that there is a greater goal that God has in mind in all of our lives, and a greater goal that God had in mind with his life and ministry these people needed to understand this. And it's in Luke chapter 10. It uh, says in verse 1, After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going. So just as Jesus had 12 disciples that spent a lot of time with him as he taught them, the word disciple, of course, means pupil, Jesus was their rabbi. He was their teacher. They, of course, had seen Jesus up close and personal, had been with him on the first year and a half, in and out, the first year and a half of his ministry, more intense than any other people in the country. However, the text also tells us that Jesus had a concentric circle of people beyond the 12, some 70 men, and no doubt more, that were attendant to his teaching and were, for the most part, were were believers, that they were convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one in the Old Testament scriptures, that he had demonstrated by his words and his deeds that he was indeed the Messiah that the nation had been anticipating since its inception, that this wonderful person would come. And across the years, it had been clarified that this Messiah would be the God-man, that it would be God incarnate, God in human form, through the miracle of a virgin birth. And that was prophesied in Isaiah. And so the people were in expectation. It was a time of political difficulty for them. They were occupied by Rome. They were under the thumb of a Gentile overlord. But the people were also oppressed spiritually. It was a time of theological controversy and pulling back and forth between groups like the Pharisees and and the Sadducees and others. So it was a time not unlike the one we live in. And they were looking for this Messiah, because they ultimately realized that if God doesn't intervene, if God doesn't really straighten us out as a people, as a, as a race, as a humanity, by, by this I mean humanity in general, 
then there's really not any hope for us. We keep going through history and we keep having the same problems over and over. Now, of course, we in our body politic have been greatly blessed, unlike any nation that's ever lived. We have received more abundance. We've had greater blessing in every area that you can imagine. And even still, we know we're, we're not a perfect people. We're not, we don't have perfect situations. There's still sorrow and there's still disease and death and there's still crime and, and sin in our lives. And so we know that the solution has got to be bigger than just us, that we have a spiritual hunger in our lives and that only God can fill that. So he told the 70 to go out not to carry any, you know, not to carry any extra money, not to carry any extra shoes, just to depend on, on the people that, that would receive them. Because he said, if they receive you, it means they really believe in your mission, which means that they believe in me. And the purpose of these sending out these 70 teams is that they would find 35 villages and homes that would receive Jesus and his disciples in the last part of his ministry as he moved irrevocably toward Jerusalem, which he knew, and we would later, that they would know, would result in his betrayal, his death, his uh, burial, and his resurrection. It would result in the atonement that God would make for our sins on the cross. And the reason that Jesus would do that is because the wages of sin is death. The Bible makes that very clear. Not only physical death, but also spiritual death and separation from God. And that has come about because none of us is perfect. All of us have sinned. All of us have gone astray. And we all, in thought, word, and deed, do things in our lives that indicate the fact that, yeah, even though we know better, we know the difference between right and wrong, we still end up doing things that we know are wrong. And getting into all of that, I I don't have time to do that, but we understand the need for a Redeemer. And so the 70 went out to find their 35 homes and villages that would receive the Messiah because they believed he was the Messiah. The 70 returned with joy, in verse 17, saying, Lord, even the demons were subject to us in your name. So Jesus had sent them out with the authority to heal diseases and to do other signs to show the people that they had been sent by him and that they had delegated authority to do good things and to bless people. And then they would open their hearts and their doors so for Jesus to receive them on the way as he completed the final part of his ministry. And verse 18 said Jesus rejoiced in the fact that he saw evidence because these guys believed and that they were faithful to carry out their mission that Satan would ultimately defeat it. He said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So Jesus looking into the future past what would happen because of his atoning death and his resurrection, what benefit it would bring to mankind and the fulfillment it would bring to the prophecies of God that Satan is defeated. He is going to be defeated, and and at that particular point was being defeated. God has always been in control. God, not Satan, will write the last chapter of history. But it's a process. It plays out in time-space history. And the focus of it all is, is us human beings here on planet Earth. And that's the Bible makes that very clear. But And then verse 9, he picks it up and says, Behold, hey, let me, let me point out some things to you. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. If you believe in me, Jesus said, I have given you authority to defeat Satan in your personal life, not through works, but through faith, not through any strength that you have, but because you believe in me. 
because Jesus has given you the authority over the power that the devil can have on your life. And of course, he's using the term servants and scorpions symbolically because he said this is symbolic of the power of the enemy and that ultimately nothing will injure you. Now, ultimately, if if Jesus tarries, all of us will succumb to some kind of physical death, but we do not have to succumb to a spiritual death. We can know that the moment we die, we go immediately to be in the presence of God. And there's yet to be an unfolding and a fulfillment. The kingdom of God is going to come. And uh, I believe that the kingdom will be here on earth for a bit. And then there's going to be the eternity with God, which is described in the last two books of the Bible, the book of Revelation. The Bible also predicts a resurrection and all of that stuff, which we don't have time to go into. But nevertheless, Satan is the defeated enemy. And they saw demonstrations of the fact that because Jesus had given them delegated authority, they had authority to undo some of the bad things that Satan had done in people's lives. Nevertheless, verse 20, Jesus said, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. It's very easy when we have seen spiritual victory in our lives. When we've seen blessing in our lives of any kind, it's very easy at that point to rejoice in that and to be grateful for that. And we should be. And on any Thanksgiving day in the United States, every day ought to be Thanksgiving day in that we have received manifold blessings. But the physical blessings aren't the biggest blessings we receive in life. The biggest blessings we receive in life are spiritual Jesus is reminding these men, look, you have been sent out with delegated authority from me to carry out this specific ministry of finding places for me and the disciples to stay as we travel around the country presenting the kingdom of God to the people. Now, as you've encountered the devil and you've been able to heal diseases, You've been able to cast demons out of people that were demonized or demon-possessed, sometimes people say, and the attempts of the devil to stop you in places were thwarted. That's something to rejoice about, but that's not the main thing to rejoice about. Don't rejoice in that, but rejoice in the fact that your names are recorded in heaven. The single most important thing that any of us as an individual needs to have nailed down is the fact that whether we are believers or not, whether or not we are a child of God or not. Now, a person becomes a child of God by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, through believing that the Bible account of Jesus is really true, that Jesus came and did what we cannot do, which is he lived a perfect life. We believe in the in the virgin birth. Actually, it's a virgin conception. We believe that God was is the father of Jesus and that Mary is Jesus' mother. Jesus was a real human being and that he lived the perfect life and then he died on a cross for our sins. Now, his death, of course, was a total miscarriage of justice, yet he indicated over and over again that that's what his destiny was, that was what was going to happen. And if you look back in the Old Testament at passages like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, we realize that God had predicted that that would happen, that this Messiah, this God-man, this Savior, the one thing he would do, which nobody else could do, is to remove the sin problem from our lives. And he could replace that sinful nature with a new nature that would be in him. We still have the capacity 
to do sin after we become believers in Jesus, as all of us who are believers in Jesus very well know. But we also realize that when we trust in Christ, our names are recorded in heaven. They're written there in in indelible ink, so to speak. And when we truly receive him, we are given the gift of eternal life. And by its nature means that once it's given, it is not rescinded. So if you find yourself in a situation where things are not going as they should, even if you find yourself in a situation where you have been defeated and you have not behaved as you think you should, and you perhaps have even sinned, then you need to rejoice in the fact that our sins are forgiven because of the finished work of Christ. And that's when we need to turn back to him, confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a daily thing we do because we, at the moment of believing in Jesus, have received full pardon for our sins based on the fact of trusting in him. So there's always something, there's always a wonderful truth that is a basis for our rejoicing. And this, the very fact that this had happened led Jesus to rejoice in verse 21. At that very time, he rejoiced, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and intellectual and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. He's praising God that these men have gotten it. Now, he's not deprecating wisdom and intelligence. He's just simply saying that wisdom and intelligence in and of itself, uninformed, won't get you anywhere. The smartest man that ever lived who doesn't believe in Christ for salvation is ultimately not going to be a spiritually successful man. When he dies, he is not going to go to heaven. He's not going to be right with God. And so sometimes our knowledge and our sophistication can get in the way of just trusting God and taking him at his word. And turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. If you've been encountered with the good news of Jesus Christ and you have, so to speak, seen them and you understand them and you've received Christ as Savior, you are blessed because you are living in what the prophets had prophesied from the beginning. Also now we have God's revelation through the New Testament where he tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. And many, many promises in the New Testament assure us that when we believe in the good news of of Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. So when it comes to this period of Thanksgiving, rejoice, rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. May God richly bless you.